Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And that is right. It is the Toasted Tavern. Welcome into the tavern tonight. I am Wags, joined alongside by Scott Tobin. We are here to bring you all the great sports news and get you prepared for our trip to Kansas City. Uh, we're going to talk about football, though, for most of the show. I know that's a little weird, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, with Derek King here in a little bit uh, as far as the St. Louis and the Rams lawsuit, Hall of Fame induction weekend, among other things. But before we get him on, we're going to talk Cardinal baseball because the Cardinals are winning right now. And Scott, that makes all of us feel better, doesn't it? It does. It does. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are going to go, man, they swept the Pirates. Woohoo. But you have to win the games that are on your schedule. Everybody was complaining when they weren't beating the Pirates and the Rockies a month ago. So, you know, you won five out of six against the Royals and the Pirates, and you just have to keep winning. The scary thing is the Cardinals didn't get out of this game today without some injuries. I don't know if you saw that. Wade LeBlanc has elbow issues, which is pretty scary. Makes you Mm. wonder. He's going to have an MRI, and apparently so is Dylan Carlson because apparently Dylan Carlson has rib and wrist issues. So uh, we'll see what happens with those two guys. You know, plus you've got a Tyler O'Neill who's been dealing with issues from his second COVID shot. You know, so I mean, team's not completely healthy again. Um, positive thing is you are going to get Jack Flaherty back tomorrow, and you're going to go to Kansas City, and you're seven and a half games out of the wild card right now. So you know, you just keep winning and. You know, they found a way to win today, and that, that was a big thing. Lars Newtbar with a big pinch hit home run, his first major league home run. And that guy that everybody in St. Louis is so down on, Mr. DeYoung, has had a pretty good uh, week now. So maybe he's going to get it going a little bit. That's going to be the big hope is that you get other guys rolling, especially if you do end up losing a guy like Dylan Carlson, who's been playing very, very well as of late. It's really his entire season has been very good. Had a couple of moments where he dipped a little bit, but defensively he's been good. Offensively he's been exactly, I think, what we expected him to be. But if you miss him for any extended period of time, you're going to need a guy like Paul DeYoung to step up because he hasn't yet this year. And the last week or so, he has started to fire a little bit on all cylinders. He's got a bunch of home runs over the last week as well. But I just don't know if you can trust him. And that's the big thing that the Cardinals have had to deal with this year is, is A, the injuries. I mean, the injuries have been, number one, the worst case scenario for this team. But B, it's it's been the consistency. I mean, this is the first time the Cardinals are two games over 500 since the middle of June. So they, they just have not been able to put together a good string and if there ever was a time for them to do that, it, it's right now. You're going up against a bunch of teams that are sub-500. You've got a big series coming up against Milwaukee next week. This is the time to go on a run. And, yes, maybe it is going to be a little too little too late, but it may prove to be exciting. And that's what the Cardinals need. They need this excitement to really get fans pumped up. And even if they don't go into the playoffs, at least it gets that built up for next year. Yeah, and you know who really needs to get going? Because when do we ever say his name? It doesn't seem like and- – I can't believe I'm saying this because you and I have screamed for him and begged for him, but it doesn't even feel like we talk about Nolan Arenado. It seems like since about the middle of May, he's done almost nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he hasn't done the, the dramatic stuff. Uh, you know, the big-time hit, the big-time home run. He's been okay, but he hasn't been the Nolan Arenado that we expected, I think, is what is what you're trying to say. And you could really almost say the same thing about Paul Goldschmidt, but Goldschmidt's had big moments as of late as well, whereas Nolan has struggled a little bit. And I, and I can see that being something of just being in a new place and 
you know, the hype at the beginning of the season kind of pumped him up and now maybe he's feeling it a little bit. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's really weird because you go, you go back and you look at the beginning of the season, Goldschmidt got off to the slow start, you know, and since the middle of May, he's been really good. And then you look at Arenado. Arenado got off to the great start in April and May, and since about the end of May, he's not been really good. He's only hitting about 230 since the end of May. I mean, he's still hitting around 300, but, you know, he. I mean, and you look at his numbers, they're not horrible. He's second in the league in doubles. He's got 22 home runs. He got his 69th RBI, but he's only hitting like 260. He just hasn't been – as consistent as we have expected him to be over the last couple of months. You know, and the weirdest thing about this team, and you keep thinking it's going to happen, Goldschmidt and Arenado still to this point have not really been hot at the same time. They really haven't. And that's the scary thing, I think, for some teams is that if they do both get hot and you continue to have a Carlson and an O'Neill hitting, this could be a really dangerous lineup. And that's the thing. It's just it's not been there. And once again, it goes back to the keys of consistency. They have not been consistent throughout the lineup. They had their issues in the pitching staff and the bullpen as well. But I mean, you could say this about any team. If any team gets consistent and hot, they can be a dangerous team, but this team has the talent that makes it scary. You know, you've got the Nolan uh, Arenado, the the Paul Goldschmidt, you've got Tyler O'Neill that can hit. You've got the pitchers that, you know, Jack Flaherty coming back tomorrow night. If he pitches well, Maybe gets back into form in a couple of starts. You have Ace at the top of your rotation. You still got Adam Wainwright after he threw the Maddox last night. And it, there are pieces there that that are dangerous and more dangerous than other teams. And if they do fire on all cylinders, this is a playoff caliber team. They are. They are. They do. They definitely have the potential. And while I just complained about Arenado and Goldschmidt, you know, while we say they're not having the years you hope they had. When the season ends, they're both going to be pushing somewhere between 28 and 32 home runs and between 90 and 100 RBIs. I mean, that's where they're going to end up. So, you know, while it's not, you know, oh, they're lighting the world on fire, they are still having solid seasons. And that's the thing. I think people were expecting those guys to carry this team on their back and just do dramatic thing after dramatic thing after dramatic thing. But when it comes down to it, Goldschmidt's going to be a gold glover again this year. Nolan Arenado is probably going to be a gold glover again this year. Like you said, they're going to combine for somewhere in the range of 50 to 60 home runs, almost 200 RBIs. It's just, they're, they're doing the things that you want to see out of them. It's just not, it's not sexy. I mean, you know, chicks dig the long ball back in the nineties. It, it's not that type of baseball, but it's the cardinal way of baseball. They do the hit and runs. They do advancing the extra base. They do those kinds of things. I mean, just look at Paul Goldschmidt's at-bats recently, you know, taking balls the other way, short swings, you know, that sort of stuff. They do all things the right way. It's just not the sexy way, and I think people lose that. And then they're, they're going to throw out there, especially with Arenado, oh, well, he's not hitting at Coors Field. That's why his numbers are down. Well, no, his numbers are still pretty good. His splits were really good when he was in Colorado and on the road. So none of that is – it holds water at all. It's just, it's not sexy baseball. Well, and a lot of it comes back to, again, if you look at their numbers, because like we said, they're both hitting over 300 with runners in scoring position. A lot of it's going to go back to, again, the fact that the top two guys on your in your lineup are not getting on base in front of them enough. You know, they're not getting those opportunities as often as they should with runners in scoring position to drive those runs home. And, and that's something the Cardinals definitely have to address in the offseason. Yeah, and that's the big thing that I think they have to address. I think they still need to – we talked about this the other night. I mean, I think the leadoff hitter has to be the guy that they're going to have to target. And I don't know who that's going to be. 
Um, I know you you dropped a couple of names out there as well, but do you see it being somebody that's that's a, a shortstop, or do you think it's some somebody else, maybe an outfielder, maybe another infield position? You know, the only really shortstop that's going to be available that you could do that with is a guy that we don't know if he's going to be available. But the perfect guy would be Trey Turner. Yeah. You know, depending on how the Dodgers handle that situation with Turner and Seager, which one of them they decide to keep or how they do that. Trey Turner would be a perfect guy for this lineup at the top of the lineup. Otherwise, I think it's going to have to be probably – I think it may have to be an outfielder or a DH-type guy, you know, one of those guys, a Starling Marte-type guy, one of those guys that's going to come on, that's going to get you some doubles, that's got some speed, that has a good on-base percentage because that truly is what they're missing. Well, now I got I got to do two separate kind of tangent questions off of the Trey Turner thing. Uh, the first one is, did you see the slide that he had the other night that was like just the most beautiful slide I think anybody's ever done? Yeah, that was pretty nice. <laughs> That was, it was video game level. It just seemed, it was just, whoop, and there you go. If you haven't seen it, search out the Trey Turner slide from the other night in that Dodgers game. It's it's definitely worth the watch. And the other question that comes out of this, and it's going back to what we talked about with Paul DeYoung. You know, what does Paul DeYoung have to do the rest of this season, in a sense, to prove to Cardinals fans that he is the guy going forward? Is there a number he has to hit? Is there something he has to do to prove that? Or are we basically sitting here saying no matter what he does, Paul DeYoung is gone? Uh, I don't think Paul DeYoung has to prove anything to Cardinal fans. It's Cardinal management that Paul DeYoung has to convince. They have to be convinced that he's the guy. You know, fans aren't going to be happy because fans want him to go get Story or Seager or Correa or one of those big-name guys and spend a ton of money. But let's see what Paul DeYoung does the next 50 games. And then look what guys like Seeger and Story have done this year because they've been hurt and underproduced. If you get done with this season and Paul DeYoung's numbers are similar to those guys and they're going to make $25 million and Paul DeYoung's going to make 10, what would you rather do there? Would you rather put that money into a shortstop or do you want to go out and get a pitcher and maybe a DH and maybe you know use that money three or four different ways to build this ball club instead of getting a guy who may give you the same production that Paul DeYoung did this year. I mean, the Cardinals have done a great job with that. You look what they did with the Albert Pujols money. You look at what they've done in the past with other potential big contracts where they've moved the money to other positions and spread it out. They've done a really good job with it. Although the last couple of years, it feels like they haven't. And that's, I think the big worry is they either put their money into one big free agent that just doesn't work out. You know, the Dexter Fowlers, you know, making the trade for Jason Hayward, or they do spread it out and they, and they get really good value out of that. And I, I think if, if those numbers are relatively the same at the end of the year, they should look at spreading it out and, and really getting back to what they did in the, you know, the early 2010s, mid 2010s, where they, they looked at the, the value of the money that they're spending versus going after the big names. And I know fans will come down on it hard because they, everybody's like, I, we want the big name guy. We got to go after the big name guy. But then when they go after the quote unquote big name guys at the time, you know, Dexter Fowler was the big name during that free agency period. And then it essentially blew up in their faces and fans are like, oh, well, why did we spend money on this guy? So you're never going to please the fans. No. But I think if they do the right thing as far as scouting and, and looking at the value that they can get with the money, that's got to be the way to go because you have to build your team out at the same time. Yeah, for me, you know, I know a lot of people like I said, are not going to be happy if they don't go get Trevor Story or Carlos Correa or one of those guys. For me, if they would go get a guy like Trey Mancini from the Orioles, 
or Mitch Haniger from the Mariners, one of those guys that's going to be your DH type hitter that's going to give you an, another 25, 80 RBI guy that's going to cost you 10 or 12 million bucks in that lineup. And then you use some of that money to go get a pitcher and then you get a guy for your bench. I think that's the way I would rather see this team go than the all out for a shortstop. But that's just me. Yeah. And, and you know, that's why we're the sports analysts, quote unquote. I mean, and, and we try to take the fan out of it as much as we possibly can just because you got we got to take it out. We're fans still. We're fans through and through. We want to see the big names come here. We want the Cardinals to succeed. We want every team in St. Louis to succeed. But we also have to step back and look at the financial things and the business side of things as well. Uh, we're going to go ahead and bring in Derek King now because I want to get his uh, reaction to what the Cardinals situation is right now as well. Uh, first off, Derek, thanks for joining us tonight. I know you're a busy, busy man, but we appreciate you coming on. Oh, hey, man. I, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, anytime I get to come on with you boys and BS about, well, just – all the garbage that goes on in St. Louis with <laughs> sports in general and just ruminate with the aggravation, the frustration, <laughs> the anger, whatever, you know, insert here. Uh, anytime we could do that is always a good time. Well, that's why we're or the Toasted Tavern, because now you can drink while you're talking about it, too. There There's no hesitation. You can get rid of your anger and aggression and have a beer at the same time. But be responsible. Yes. Well, that's why we're doing it from home. I mean, that's right. right. You, you have to. <laughs> so real quickly, what, what is your take right now on the Cardinals situation? Uh, obviously, they sweep the Pirates. They're still kind of in the hunt, but it's going to take a lot to get there. But do you, do you think they actually have a chance? And uh, where do you think they go in the offseason? Well, you know, I seem to remember, if I recall correctly, and you know, I'm going to show my age by – you know, rolling my mental Rolodex, you know, well, Scott, you remember the Rolodexes. Yeah, I, I remember. Wags, you probably remember Rolodexes oh, yeah. too back in the day. I'm, so I'm scrolling my mental Rolodex, and uh, there seems to be a particular movie that comes to mind that's just the, the gif of all gifs that's out there. It, <laughs> dumb and dumber, so you're telling me there's a chance, or you're, you know, the, the, just all of that. Yes, there is a chance albeit an outside chance. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't look good. I don't care how many of these stretches they get on. Milwaukee's still really good. Guess what? They're still really good, and they're still playing really good baseball. So my kind of thought with the Cardinals right now is they sold at the deadline. People don't really think that they sold because they didn't trade away pieces like the Nationals did. They didn't trade away pieces like some of the other teams did. They still sold. And the and the reason that I say that is because you go out, Wade LeBlanc, great guy. You know, you go out and you pick up a couple of older pitchers in Lester and J.A. Happ, those guys that are clearly past their prime. I don't want to say over the hill, I'm 38. I can't really say anything about that. But the fact of the matter is, is you're going out and you're basically getting Band-Aids to put on this problem, this hemorrhaging uh, laceration, if you will, that you're just bleeding out. And the only way to fix it is to get Jack Flaherty back. If you was to get a really solid number two starter like a Max Scherzer, which you didn't, you balked on it, and you sent him on down to L.A. because you don't want to do the deal, whatever. But the 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 writing is on the wall. 
of what they're trying to do is to get the next year. This isn't about getting to the playoffs. I hate to break the news to you fans out there. I'm looking into the video scope right now. I'm looking at you at home. I'm telling you right now, it it's it's over. It's done. They've cashed in their chips. They're heading into the offseason. They've got some plans. You, you always hear rumors. We all hear rumors. But I think that they've got something going on that they know where they're going with it next season let's get to that point and then let's go from there but as far as all the rest of the fans are are out there i man i'm with you 110 i'm just as frustrated i'm just as irritated i'm just as just maddened as anybody else when it comes to when you see something that's right there in front of you that's ready for the picking and you don't do the you don't take it it's just that frustrating as, as all get out. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, you know what? We were St. Louisans. We've, we've dealt with that before. And unfortunately we're going to switch it over to football now because this, this is where the, the hatred and the anger and everything just basically stems from now. And we had the hall of fame induction this past weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but it did once again, bring up more conversations and more stuff surrounding the Rams, the NFL, the St. Louis lawsuit. I know you, I had you on uh, a couple months ago to kind of talk about that. Uh, but we kind of want to see where, where we're at as far as updates are concerned. Cause there's stuff that has been happening over the last couple of months, but where do we sit right now? And, and did we have any progress going forward as far as, a new teams, a settlement, anything along those natures? No, nothing really along that line as of yet. Now there's always table talk. You know, we used, we used to say it back in the day, you know, whenever you was wanting to just kind of be coy about it, it's table talk, you know, it's, Oh, aunt, aunt Billie Jean over here or uncle Bob over here or whatever, you know, table talk. There's, there's a lot of that that goes on right now. A lot of speculation, you know, I'm one of the worst at that on my show. <laughs> Whenever I do it, I speculate like crazy. But the reality of the situation is this is, and, and I want to be very clear, this is abhorrently bad for the NFL. This is one of those things to where this could damage the NFL in such a way that there's no municipality, no city, no organization that could potentially make big money with partnering with the NFL in some capacity to where why would you sit down and do business with an entity that you know is going to screw you? You know it. You know you're going to get screwed. You're just sitting here going, well, how are they going to do it? Are they going to do it this way? Or are they going to do it that way? I don't know. Maybe they'll do it up. Maybe they'll do it down. Maybe they'll do it sideways. They'll do it any way they could do it. They're the NFL. That's what they do. And so when we talk settlement, you have to be realistic from a business standpoint. And, and you guys use the tagline. You have to use it, uh, Get your, remove yourself as a fan. And you have to look at it from an analytical outsider perspective and say, if I'm a business person here, if I'm a business person 
and I'm looking at the this situation with the NFL and they're going through the whole procedure through court and everything's been going on, which has been must-see TV, if you will, by me. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> this is where I get tickled because there's so many people that say, give us you know, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Ben Fredrickson just had a article that just dropped today, I believe it was, over on STL Today. And he had had that same article and had that tag, like, show me the money. And so if I think about that, I got to go, wow, gosh. Man, that's got to be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We're talking billions. We're talking, and, and the rumor now has been thrown out there of nearly $4 billion, maybe more. Wow. The, the thing is, is that in court, you know, we've all had something, you know, maybe a traffic ticket, you know, maybe you've had something else, you know, something minor, maybe even something less than minor, but we've all dealt with it at some point in time. When you're talking numbers of this magnitude with individuals that have so much money that they could stop doing what they're doing and still be wealthy beyond comprehension, you have to look at it from the standpoint of, okay, if we win this thing, if we or if we're getting to a point where they come to us and say, hey, we're let's talk. Let's let's try to figure this thing out. Let's try to do something here. Are you going to have this thing tied up in court for however many months and then go through the appeals process for three to five years? And the NFL is just going to they're they're going to try mean, and bury do, it. Do okay. people really understand how much money the NFL has? This is precisely why they don't want the, the team STL law group to find out the actual financials on these players in this thing. They don't want you to know because if you knew, trust me, I've, I've seen it. It would make you, it would make your, your great granddaddy roll over in his grave. Just, just the idea of, of the, how much money that these individuals make and retain and and how they manage to do it off the back of you and off the back of you and off the back of every other fan out there. But I think the reality is if you have the opportunity, if the NFL comes to you tomorrow and says, let's deal with this, we're going to give you a team free of charge because an expansion fee is a fee. It's just as much as have you know having a McDonald's. It's a franchise right fee. That's it. It's arbitrary. It's it's a fugazi, a fugazi. It's unicorn dust. It doesn't exist. It's not real. It's not real. It's made up. So they could waive that. They could give you back the former Rams Park facilities, which is now the Lou Fuse Athletic Center in their city, which Cronky owns the rights to for a dollar. And they can pay off the former Ed Jones dome. These are all things that they could do. And then plus, hey, let's pledge $700 million to a brand new stadium. If we could argue about where it would be. But the reality is, if I'm on the opposite side of that table, I'm hearing that. Because I'm going, hmm. And, and, I, and, and I am, at that time, stroking my luxurious, glorious beard. And I'm sitting here thinking, hmm, yes, what can I get out of this? Where can I go with this? What else can I get? Because I know the money is never going to get paid. Right. It's never going to come. And people need to get off that white horse and realize this is business. And when it's business, it's ugly and it's stinky. I use the philosophy. If you don't 
like the way the sausage is made, then get the hell out of the kitchen. If you like sausage, if you don't like the way it's made, trust me, buddy, you ain't going to be eating it once you see nope. how that stuff's made. Not at all. Not at all, Scott. Yeah, I know. That's, that's very true. So I'm with you, Derek. I think I think if they come to the come to St. Louis and say, hey, we'll do this, I think it's the best the best move for the city. I mean, you know, the look of having a new stadium, if you could get them to give you to waive those fees, if you get that stadium built, you know, if you can build a stadium, if you can get that franchise here, the expansion team. And then, you know, with the quote we saw Isaac Bruce give Jim Thomas this week about him dreaming of potentially being an ownership group. What would be better for St. Louis fans? Imagine if an Isaac and an Orlando and an Adam Turman, some of those guys that still live in the St. Louis area would go together and be part of the ownership group of this team. And you could kind of stick it to the league in some way and say, look, our Rams, our Rams heroes are back in St. Louis. We've got our football team back, you know, suck it Cronky in so many ways. I mean, wouldn't that be the ultimate win for St. Louis in a lot of ways? Yeah, and, and really, and I'll even go one further with you, Scott, you know, because you had actually hit the nail right on the head with this one because that's the only way this whole thing works. That's it. Fans are so, in St. Louis, in this market in general, are so disenfranchised and, and they, they cannot stand the NFL to a, to a point that they would rather – you know, it just go by the wayside and just forget about it. I'll go root for the Battle Hawks 2.0 or whatever it is that I'm going to go and do, and I'll root for another football team. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that if you have somebody like an Ike Bruce that you've just brought up, and mind you, this is not the first time no. that he has said this. There's an interview with the legend himself, Palmer Alexander III, and it's out there on YouTube. About five or six years ago, he had asked him that specific question, and he had said the same result. The thing is, this is not something that Ike has been kind of, eh, or there was a lot of the, the rumor train had started once that Jim Thomas quote had came out on Twitter here last week or it was this week, I can't remember, my my days and weeks are all jumbled together at this point, but here a few days ago when that came out, I remember watching my Twitter timeline, and people immediately went on to the speculation train that he's talked to somebody with the law team, and they're feeding him information, and he knows stuff. Maybe he's already been approached about an ownership portion in this. Would I think that that would be a good idea would i think that that would be a good move i think that would be the only move because you have to get somebody of that ilk that is entrenched in this society in this market that people recognize that people love that people respect and isaac bruce and ozzy smith marcus allen don't forget he lives in the area you know there's a lot of other people that live and or are around this area dave stewart is another one i would love to see a minority group get together and have some form of ownership in that too as well. I would like to see some female ownership like uh, akin to the MLS thing that's going on. I would like to see some of that because the one thing that I'm tired of and I'm tired of seeing is the Jerry Jones of the world. Yep. Is the Robert Rubba Dub Crafts of the world. You know, I'm tired and sick of seeing these bloated, arrogant, 
sexist. I mean, let's just call it how it is. Jerry Richardson got ousted from the Carolina Panthers for uh, groping and grabbing and all the things that he did, the, the horrible, awful things that he had done over his tenure as owner. And shall we go on and start naming other other owners? We don't have to because we know they're scumbags. And so if you could find a way to get local, trusted, revered, and respected ownership together, like I said, of a Taylor family, of an Andy Taylor, of a Dave Stewart, of a Lori, of a, you know, a Marcus Allen, an Isaac Bruce, a Kurt Warner, whatever. Kurt Warner's not local. He's in Arizona. But that's the whole point. If you can do that, it's a slam dunk. I mean, there's no question about it. I even will say if I'm a lawyer on the law team, if I'm Bob Blitz, if I'm Dowd, if I'm whomever, and they're coming to me and saying, you know, you're doing this right now pro bono, basically. You're doing it free of charge until there's a settlement. What if we were to offer you a portion of the ownership? It's a pretty good idea. I will give you an example. In 1988, Jerry Jones purchased the Cowboys for somewhere in the vicinity of, I think it was 175, 180 million. I could be off on that, but it was somewhere around that vicinity to where now they're worth nearly $6 billion. Think of that. Are you getting that kind of return on your 401k? I don't think so, buddy, because let me tell you something. It is the key investment of the 21st century of that. You could take your money and you could put it into it and you can get over a 200% return. Or a 2,000% return. I mean, who knows how high the thing's going to go. It just comes back to how bad do fans want this? Do you really want to get back in bed with the NFL? I know all the horrible things. I have not said a majority of the horrible things. But I know it. I know former players. I talk with them regularly if I can get that out without dripping <laughs> over my tongue regularly. And the fact of the matter is if people knew half of it, like I said, the sausage bit, if you knew half of it, you would never watch it again. But I still go back because I love the game. There's just no, there's no replacing it. There's no going back. You could try and you could say, Hey, I'm going to try this new CFL thing, or I'm going to, I'm going to try. I love the XFL. Don't get me wrong. I was a huge fan. I, I supported it. I was behind it. I went, to the very first game down there in Arlington, Texas. I was there. I really got behind it. But we're talking about the NFL here. We're talking about the 10,000-pound polka-dotted pink elephant in the room. It is is by far, or as they say, the 800-pound gorilla or whatever. It is the, the thing. You've got the NFL. You've got... Of, of just a very long way. Then you've got like, you know, Major League Baseball, NBA, you know, or NBA, Major League Baseball, and then NHL. Uh, but people forget that the NFL is still chasing world soccer. Yeah. They're still chasing the world soccer is by far the number one sport in the world or football, as they actually call it over there. And so this is why the NFL is exploring into going into another NFL Europe 2.0. This is why they're doing all of these things. This is why they're extending the seasons. They're doing all this for a particular reason because they're looking at expanding. They are going to grow. They will grow. The question is where. 
Yeah. And you talk about just the, the financial implications behind it all as well. And you, $4 billion, if that, that's the number, we got to throw it out the window. If they approach you and say, we're going to waive the fee and build the stadium and pay off this and all that, it's, it's not even so much about that. It's, it's about the revenue that the NFL can bring to the city of St. Louis. I think that's something that continues to get lost. That Yes, you're, you're getting in bed with the devil, essentially, if you're, if you're going to get back into the NFL. But the amount of money that that league and that exposure can bring back to the city, you're going to revitalize another area. Look what, look what the MLS is doing right now. Yes, it's kind of in an established area with the Union Station, you know, uh, the, the Blues facility, everything all in one spot. But you're able to revitalize another section of St. Louis and bring in money all over the place. Every Sunday, guaranteed X amount of dollars. It, it's it almost seems like it's a no-brainer, like you said, to, to bring them back. And, yeah, you can sit there and go down the pathway of what the NFL actually is all about. But if you're creating jobs, you're bringing in money, and you're revitalizing a part of the city that needs to be revitalized again, I don't see how people can say no. And we got a lot of responses to that tweet as well. We tweeted it out and put it out on Facebook. And I was surprised at how many people were like, yeah, I, I do it again. I, I welcome it. Yeah, there are some conditions. but I'd welcome it. So I actually think the fan reaction is actually kind of positive about bringing the NFL back. Yeah. And and like we said, it, it, it all basically came down to the fact that we threw Isaac's name in there oh. as that local ownership, part of that ownership group. Another guy that would be really good and who's talked about being an owner in sports in St. Louis is Chris Long. That would be another guy that would be really good to be part of that ownership group if you could make that happen. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Wags, what it would do for the city economically every Sunday for the hotels and the restaurants and everything that kind of hurts when the Cardinals shut down at the end of October, you know, and the blues do help, but it's, it doesn't draw the same numbers of people that the Cardinals and, and the, and then the NFL does just because of the size of the stadium. So it would be just a huge impact for the city, you know, those months and the revenue and, you know, just the, you know, just to help rebuild the reputation of St. Louis, which shouldn't have gotten trampled in the first place as Crocky and, Demoff kind of stepped all over it as they ran out of town for no reason. And we were talking about ownership groups, and yes, you've got the small groups, but is there a, a heavy hitter in St. Louis, in your mind, Derek, that could step up and be that person or that group that helps, you know, the the, the Ike Bruce's and, and all that get that minority ownership? Is there a heavy hitter that could step in and help out in that instance, or are we kind of maxed out with everything that we have going on right now? No, there, there's plenty of money. The question is, is who wants to get in bed with Satan himself? I mean, we've seen what they did to Dave Peacock. You know, we've seen what they did, you know, with other owners, ousting them out of the league, running them out, whatever. We look at the current situation with Dean Spanos, his family, that entire situation. I think in St. Louis, and if we're talking legitimately, the probably the one person that I can think of off the top of my head that is probably one of the most respected, the most revered, um, uh, then the person that has the financial wherewithal and is in a situation where they can do it is has to be Mr. Taylor. That's it. Because and, and I'll say this, I am a Rankin alum. I graduated from Rankin and the Taylor family was extraordinarily generous with Rankin. And, and I will tell you this much that 
family has done more, given more millions of dollars to the city of St. Louis and have done more for the community than just pretty much essentially any other family that's ever really kind of been around over the last several decades. So if you really think about it, he's got to be number one. He's got to be your big dog on the list. And then you kind of start stepping down from there because Remember, he is not a majority owner in the MLS team. He is a minority owner. All that being said, the NFL did do away with their cross-ownership laws and rules. So that is no longer in effect. Look how well they worked the first time, though. But Look uh... at how well. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. I mean, you know, <laughs> Denver or anything. Right. You know, um, it, it's funny because... As I think about the individuals that are in the St. Louis market that have the financial capability and have the desire to even be involved in something of this nature and of this magnitude, I think people forget is that the NFL, when you become an owner, it's not just you. It's not say Derek King uh, has has 60% of the new football team. It's not just me. It's a legacy. It's a legacy ownership. It's a legacy thing that you're going to pass on to your children and your children's children. And it's going to be around for a long time. And it's going to make them to a point to where they're so God awful wealthy that they'll never have to work a day in their life. Their money will make them money. And that's just the way that it is. And so anybody that has that position to be able to step into that as an investment, like I said, it's, it's, it's just bigger checkers on a bigger checkerboard. That's all it is. You know, we talk about it as just regular Joes just say, you know, Hey, you know, I'm going to invest a few hundred dollars in Dogecoin or in some other cryptocurrency or something else. You know, there could be that, you know, uh, we could talk about other uh, entities too, as well. People who are involved uh, in other ventures. And we could say, for example, Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, Twitter fame, all of that stuff. Jack Dorsey doesn't care about anybody, but Jack Dorsey, <laughs> uh, Jack Dorsey is not the type of individual to where I would say, Hey, there you go. There's you an NFL owner. You want to know who an NFL owner is? You really want to you want to see like a clear cut in a box what an NFL owner is? Jeff Bezos. He is the closest thing to an NFL owner with big money that you're ever going to see. The guy is so wealthy and he has such a drive and desire to make more and do more. That's the kind of person that they want. And Jerry Jones wants him so bad. It's like somebody dropped a red hot charcoal brick between his legs. He doesn't even know what the hell to do with it. And I mean, the fact of the matter is they're trying to push Dan Snyder out, which Dan Snyder's a scumbag. We all know that. You know, they're they're trying to push uh, Davis out. They're trying to push you know, Spanos out. They're trying to push a lot of people out, but I will tell you this, the one that they really are working on, whether or not it gets done, they want Spanos out as the Chargers owner. They want to bring Jeff Bezos in. And the reason for that is 
solely based on this. Stan Kroenke is absorbing the entire brunt of all of this, as we know. He has paid nearly $400 million in legal fees as of this point. He's continuing to hemorrhage money. He has spent billions on his mega palace for the NFL out there. And I'm telling you right now, if Bezos comes in, gets the Chargers, he's going to come in and say, hey, Stan, I'm going to give you half down on that. I'm going to own half this building. You own the other half of the building. I'm going to take care of you. You take care of me, and we're all good. We're in the biggest, second biggest market in the nation. That's, that's where they want to go. Now, whether or not that happens, I don't know, because Jeff Bezos is up there cruising around in some phallus space rocket ship, you know, going off into outer space, you know, say, you know, one billion dollars. You know, he's just I, I, I don't really know where he's at in the grand scheme of it all. If he's really, truly there or if it's just kind of like, oh, listen, I got two hundred billion dollars. What do I give a crap? Yeah, well, let's hope that he doesn't, that he's not interested, because I really don't want anybody to uh, help old Stan out. Let's just let Stan keep uh, hemorrhaging money as much as possible. And Yeah, I want to see him rot. Yeah, I, and- I, I just I literally want to see him just rot. I want to see him lose his teams. I want to see I want to see the and I'm not a, a naturally a vindictive person. I could really care less. Go you do you kind of thing. Right. But at the end of the day, Stan Kroenke is such a scumbag. Him and Demoff, too, as well. They're such garbage. Hey, guess what? Kevy, baby, I'm looking at you, kid. You piece of shit. I hate your guts. You're garbage. You're a scumbag. You're a liar. You lied to our faces. You lied to the season ticket holders' faces. You held court with all the season ticket holders, lied to them, got them to up on all sorts of tickets and season packages. You're scum. I hate your guts, and I hope you rot in hell. <laughs> Clip that off right there. Right there. Right there. Well, the fun part is that team's going to be awful in like another year. So there'll yeah. be nobody, they'll be playing in front of 20,000 people in an empty stadium in LA. It's going to go right back to 1993. 92, oh, yeah. 93. It's just going to go right back. Fans are going to get tired of it, and they're going to go, well, I ain't going to watch this garbage whenever I can go over here and watch the Dodgers win the pennant. You know, right. or I could go over here and I could watch, I could watch Showtime Lakers and I could go, LeBron's going to go take us to the finals again. You know, it, the thing is, is that there's nobody in LA that's actually from LA. Right. There, there Nobody's born and raised there. Uh, trust me. I know I've been there many times. I talked to all sorts of people. You can walk up and down the street, man. How about them Rams? Huh? Who are yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> Who? Oh yeah, man! I'm so excited! I'm so excited! What? By the way, where where are they at? Who are they? Yeah, because nobody cares. They're fake. That's just the way it is. And I'm not saying anything about people that want to move there. Just the reality is of the type of people that are there. It's fake. And so the NFL is fake by being in there because all they want to do is cash in on the TV revenue. This is just business. But you know, I mean, I'm just going to call it how I see it. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it, and I'm not going to BS people by telling them that something's true that's not or something that's that could happen that couldn't happen. The reality is St. Louis is in a very tremendous position right now, better than any other city's ever been in, better than Cleveland in 95, better than Baltimore during that time period too as well, better than any other place. St. Louis literally has the NFL over the proverbial barrel, and that's where I'll leave it.
And those are pretty good deals because Baltimore and Cleveland both got pretty good deals out of their uh, out of their times when this happened to them. You bet you, buddy. That they did. Well, let's talk about some of the happier times uh, when, with the St. Louis Rams because it was Hall of Fame weekend induction ceremony this past weekend, and St. Louis was well represented. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Joe Buck and, and Steve Atwater in a second, but Isaac Bruce, we've already talked about him a bunch tonight. Finally got into the hall. It was a year delayed because of COVID, but he did get a chance to get the gold jacket. He got his bust. He didn't have his speech because of some BS person stealing his iPad, but Isaac Bruce got in. It was a great celebration of what St. Louis football was all about. He had the other Hall of Famers there as well with Pace and Warner and Falk. Uh, just just talk, walk us through your reaction and your feelings seeing Ike put on the gold jacket, make his speech, and, and finally get that vind- vindication of going into the Hall of Fame. <sighs> Where should I begin? Um, and th- this is almost somber to a certain extent. Because this is where the shocking realization comes is that this is outside of Tory Holt and potentially Dick Vermeil. Um, this might be the last. This this is probably it. Um, I think for Ike, it I, I will steal part of his speech. How do you like me now? He he was always looked down as the guy that was too little, too small, um, just not a prototypical wide receiver. Everybody looked at Michael Irvin, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Jerry Rice. Even Jerry Rice was a little bit on the slight side, but Isaac Bruce was even smaller. And to have someone of his physical stature, to have the amount of success that he had in the NFL during that span from 1995. Well, he came to the league in 94 with the then LA Rams. But to have the success that he managed to have during that span. Let's forget about the hammy whammies, by the way. We'll forget about that. But during that span of being in St. Louis, the tremendous impact that he had on, not just on, but off the field too as well with the Isaac Bruce foundation that still is in existence to this day and still has community outreach and still does things for minority communities, low income communities, uh, helping kids learn things. And just, I mean, they, they just do so much tremendous work in St. Louis for him to still do all of that stuff. This is well-earned it's deserved beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, I was a little bit perturbed by Berman walking off with his iPad. Take it for what it's <laughs> worth. Uh, but I will say again to the NFL, even to, to a certain extent to the hall of fame, how do you like St. Louis now, now that we got you over a barrel and now that we've got you right where we want you, if we're going to continue to keep you there, how do you like us now? And that's where, you know, and that's where Bruce really said, I love you. I care about you. I'm here. I hear you. Uh, it was a very empathetic, a very open, uh, a very heartfelt induction speech into the Hall of Fame that 
it's nice to see that the Reverend himself finally has his well-deserved place in Canton. You know, we talked about it a lot this week, Derek. And, you know, everybody talks about Isaac and they talk about the greatest show on turf, but people need to realize how amazing he was when he was the only weapon those teams had when they came to St. Louis. I mean, he was putting up unbelievable numbers when there was no other wide receiver on the other side of him. And Tony Banks and Rick Meyer and whoever else they pulled off the garbage heap were throwing balls up to him. Other than that first year when Chris Miller was healthy for the first eight games and they were pretty good. But I mean, the guy was amazing and doesn't get enough credit because other than Jerry Rice, he might've been as good of a route runner as there was during that time period. I would even go as far as I know, this is being sacrilegious, but I think he was a better route runner than Rice. I think Rice had elusiveness. I think Rice had awareness. Rice was never a direct route runner. Bruce was. Bruce literally, I, I remember watching him in scrimmage. And he would literally walk the field. And he would he would actually almost even jog out his routes and count the steps. Then he would run it. And he would count the strides. He knew he could do it with his eyes shut. He could run off and, and take five, six strides, then cut, and then take another five, six strides, then cut and come back across. And he could do it with his eyes shut. He knew exactly when the ball was going to be there. He knew where the ball was going to be, in what location. He knew the distance. He knew the time frames. He knew everything. He was an absolute maestro. And being on the field between those hash marks, between the sidelines, there was nobody that could touch him. I will say this. As talented as Torrey Holt was, and the things that that man managed to do on the field, if it wasn't for Isaac Bruce mm -hmm. teaching him, bringing him along and showing him, I'm not saying everything, but showing him these little nuances of the game, the little nuggets, the little, the shiny little kernels that once they get in here, you're literally in the middle of a game or something and you remember it, pick up on it. You're like, oh, wow. And it opens up a whole new world and that silver curtain pulls back and then you've just, you've got it all. And so now I look forward to next year potentially allowing Tory Holt and Dick Vermeil to take their places in the Hall of Fame. I do believe that Dick Vermeil will be in the Hall of Fame and probably uh, and probably likely next year, if not the year after. But I would say it's got to be sooner rather than later. The successes that he had in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and in Kansas City, you have to look at it and go, that, that, that guy took perennial dumpster fires eh, outside of the – you know, the Chiefs, for the most extent, the Chiefs with Marty Schottenheimer's years outside of the Gunther Cunningham years. We won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but uh, to have the success that he managed to have coming in and rebuilding those teams and doing what they did, that was fantastic. Uh, I will touch on one other thing during that uh, Hall of Fame speech to as well, or that Hall of Fame weekend, I should say, was the induction of Joe Buck to as well um i i don't want to get too deep in it because i i want scott i want your thoughts on this too as well and what wags we're definitely going to get your thoughts because i know you got thoughts on this too but you guys did watch his his speech that he had and they only gave him a real short amount of time mm -hmm. 
but I really want to get both of your guys' opinion. Scott, I want to start with you. How did you feel about Joe's speech over Hall of Fame weekend, and how did that make you feel as a St. Louis fan? You know, and it, it just showed the class for me. It just showed the class of the Buck family. You know, just just how much that this city this meant to him, how much his dad meant to him, the the game of football and sports in general, just the whole combination of everything. You know, it it just made me it made me proud to be a St. Louis and proud to be a fan of the Buck family because Joe, I'm a Joe Buck fan. I know a lot of people in St. Louis don't love Joe, but to me, it was just another another opportunity for Joe to express his love for the city of St. Louis, his dad and everything that he was able to experience as a kid, you know, being drugged along by his dad's coattails and, you know, what it's led to at this point. That's the way I feel about it. For me, it, it shows me once again, and I hope it showed people that it wasn't so much him writing the coattails. It was taking what he learned and making himself his own man and own broadcaster. And I think that's the big thing for me is that, People think, oh, Joe got where he got because of Jack. Well, no, he got there because of Jack, but because he watched him. He learned from him. He saw what went right, what went wrong, and he knew that hard work had to be the way that was going to push you forward. And, yeah, just like Scott said, it just it made me proud once again to be a St. Louis, and it put St. Louis back into the spotlight where it should always be. I mean, the, the reason we do this show and what we bill it as is because – the Midwestern bias isn't there. It's all East Coast, West Coast. When you look at the Midwest, people don't know enough about the, the cities and the people and the teams and everything that goes around the Midwest. And, and we're lucky enough that we had not not one, we've had two of the best and greatest men and broadcasters, not just in baseball, not just in football, even in hockey, because Jack Buck did some hockey games as well. It just, once again, put that focus back on St. Louis. And, and really, as Scott said, it made me proud to be a St. Louisan. For all the crap that's said on uh, about this city, that's another beacon of light for the city of St. Louis. Yeah, And j just one more thing. I'm going to say this about Joe, and I said I'm a big fan of Joe Buck. Not that I know Joe well, but I've gotten to meet him a bunch of times in my life. Very first time I met Joe Buck, he was a 15-year-old tour guide at Bush Stadium, and I was a 10-year-old kid. And he walked around and gave me a tour of the stadium and then talked to me about his dad for about a half hour afterwards because I was such a fan. So I have a I have a huge love for Joe, and he's never been anything but good to me in the few times that I've had the chance to talk with him. You know, we're as, as much as we lament, and <laughs> let's just be frank, complain and bellyache, <laughs> about the Cardinals not making another playoff run or, you know, the situation with the Blues, what's going on with Vladimir Tarasenko? Is he staying? Is he going? What's going on? What's happening? Staying. Uh, yeah, he's staying. <laughs> There's, there, nobody's going to take him. Uh, and, and that's fine, you know. But to have the ownership groups that we have yeah. that, remember, the DeWitts are from Cincinnati, okay? But they are so involved with, with St. Louis and, and putting a, at least a decent product on the field. We could say what we want to about the president of baseball operations and his, you know, coffee getter <laughs> slash GM. <laughs> Do you want two sugars with that? Maybe some creamer. I don't really know what Michael Gersh's position is really at this point, because I, I don't really think that he does anything, but we can criticize those all we want, and we should, rightfully so. 
we should be able to criticize them. We should be able to criticize the manager. That's their job. They should be able to take that. I think the, the, the people that we really should be careful about criticizing is great ownership. And with the DeWitts, we have had steadfast, mm -hmm. solid ownership. The same thing with Mr. Stillman. Solid, steadfast, ironclad, resolved. He will walk the concourse. He will talk with fans. He will shake hands. What can I do to make this a better experience for you? I remember him coming up to me during uh, one of the Blues playoffs games. I was walking the concourse, and there comes this slight man up the concourse. Didn't think much of it, you know. But it kind of surprised me because I was just like, wow, he's kind of smaller than I thought. Uh, but, the, you know, this slight man with a very big smile on his face, you know, a big, big smile. He comes up to me and shakes my hand. He said, uh, glad to see you here. Excited to have you. Has everything been good for you? What can I do to make this a better experience for you? And I said, you're doing it. Just keep doing what you're doing. And that's it. And to have owners like that, where we didn't have with Bill Bidwell, where we didn't have, and, and I don't I don't care what people say about Georgia Frontier. Frontieri, Frontier, there's I call her Frontier. All right. She was never here, only on spot occasions. She was not really didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, she worked with us and she was a, a nice lady. For what it was worth but the reality was she was she was a devoid owner she wasn't involved she wasn't here all the time she still lived out in california you know she still did her own things you know and so i always tell people be careful what you wish for because you might just get it and as far as owners are concerned i would say be happy with what we have to a, to a point, but be honored to have the people and the individuals like the Joe Bucks and, and, and the Jack Bucks and the Shannons and the Kellys and so on and so forth. We could go down the litany of lists of people who have been so important, the Bob Costases, you know, everything that have been so important to keeping this market relevant to a certain extent, thanks to their platform and them coming out and saying, hey, they've got something going on over there. And that's what the most important thing is. And that's what you guys are doing. That's what I continue to do is to be that voice and to be that person to say, hey, listen, we got some really killer stuff and we're and we're happy about it, too. Yeah, we bellyache because we expect perfection. But you should never expect anything less but the best, because that's what we are. <laughs> exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And we've talked about that many a times on, on this show, about how the ownership has done so much in, in with the Cardinals, the Blues, and now you're getting the MLS, the community involvement. And you can sit there and say what you will about the Cardinals owners, about them maybe focusing more on Ballpark Village. But here's the thing. Ballpark Village is creating jobs bringing in revenue. It's revitalizing an area. Yes, maybe it, it could go a step further, but they're doing what they can to help reinvest in the city. And, and that's the thing. And like you said, 
the DeWitts are Cincinnati guys, but they have they grew up with the Cardinals organization. So with the Browns, they, specifically. With the Browns, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's, so they have the, the connection to St. Louis. Obviously, Tom Stillman has the connection to St. Louis. You've got the local ownership group with the MLS. And, and that's why I think we were driving home the point about the local ownership with a potential NFL team because it's the grassroots campaign, it's the community involvement, and it's just the touchstone of, hey, if something's going on here in St. Louis, the owners are affected by it too. The owners are experiencing it too. And when you've got the owners that we have that are out in the community that are experiencing it along with you, it makes you want to support the team in good and bad Yes, you can complain about the bad, but you know that they're with you in it for the long haul. And, and I think that's something that a lot of people need to remember and understand. Like you said, we should be thankful for the ownership that we have here because we could have a Jerry Jones or a Robert Kraft or somebody to that effect or help a Stan Kroenke still. We don't have those anymore, and we should be incredibly thankful for that. Well, just look to your point. Just look at the Cardinals. People want to complain about the DeWitts and say they haven't done enough. And, oh, this is a horrible year. And, oh, my God, this is horrible. We're horrible. We're horrible. We're in third place. It's not like we're the Pirates. It's not like we're the Royals. It's not like we're the, you know, it's not like we're the Rockies that are battling, trying to get within 20 games of 500 every year. Our down year, we're in third place, and everybody acts like the world is ending. So you have to give ownership credit for that fact that we've had so many years that we're, even when we're having a down year, you're still right on the edge of being in contention. Really, and I, and I want to add to that too, Scott, too, as well. You, you bring up a really good point. And I think the, the one thing that a lot of fans are feeling and seeing is this same narrative. Do you kind of have, Scott, do you kind of feel like, and, and Mike, this can go to you too as well. Do you kind of feel like there's similarities here for the last manager that was here? We're seeing the same things. We're seeing the same talking points. We're seeing the same mannerisms. We're mm -hmm. seeing the same behavioral traits. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, that doesn't mean it's a goose. No, it, it doesn't. And it goes back to, and I mean, the Cardinals kind of made a point of this. You know, at the end of at the end of that legendary regime, two thousand. <laughs> at the end of two thousand eleven, they talked about you know that they wanted to change things, that they didn't want the manager to have as much power as he did, that they kind of wanted the organization to kind of start over and for it to kind of be a new thing, and and we've seen that. You've had two managers now that don't have that. I don't want to say they don't have the drive that Tony did, but they don't have the. They don't have the gall, I guess, to come out and really criticize the general manager and say, hey, we need to go get this guy. And we need, you know, Tony would, you know, and Tony was legendary for that, even with Walt Jockery, that he would go in his office and bang on his desk and say, hey, you need to make this move because we need this guy to make this team win. And right now you don't have a manager that's going to do that. You have a man, you have managers that have been yes men for the general manager that are, hey, you put the team together and we're going to say it's good and we'll, we'll all be happy and we'll be We'll be in contention, but we're not going to rock the boat the way that Tony did for all those years. And that's kind of what they wanted at the end of that run. I will say this, and, I, and I'll close my thoughts on it, but let's look at it from this perspective. Any successful body, organization, anything, government, doesn't matter. You have to have checks and balances. If you do not have proper checks and balances, 
and you allow one individual or a group of individuals to run amok over the entire situation, that's how things fail. They fall flat on their face. We're seeing this right now with John Moselak and Michael Gersh. He has installed people continuously below him in a series of moves to allow himself not to ever take the brunt. He's always has someone in line. TLR was never that. You just Ooh. hit the nail on the head, and that's why it made me think of this. TLR was notorious for, as you said, banging the table in the GM's office and saying, get me this guy. Or uh, going and having a conversation with the owner themselves. When Whitey Herzog was the manager of the Cardinals during the 80s, he was the GM too as well. He had full duties. Now, was that a smart move? Some could beg to differ. There's been some instances of some moves that were made or not made. Need I say Jack Clark? <laughs> right. That weren't done, that should have been done, but didn't get done due to somebody was being cheap or somebody didn't understand a situation. But if you don't have proper checks and balances, these things will continue to fail. They will always fail. And that it, I always have a philosophy that when you have bad GMs, bad managers, does it seem to me, but it just maybe it seems just it's just my perspective perspective of this but they always seem to fail upwards like they they always seem to be like they suck here and then they move here and they take this upper position then they suck there so then i'm gonna go over here and i'm gonna suck a little bit more over here and then i'm gonna go over and suck over here that's why i kind of had told people from the from the get uh when epstein had left the cubs organization i said watch out he's the new rob manfred he's mm -hmm. the next commissioner of the league He's prepping himself to be that. He's probably more than likely the scenario that he's going to be that. Uh, that I, I remember the rumor a while back that Kevin Demoff had aspirations of being the next commissioner of the NFL. God. Now, that's obviously gone <laughs> to the wayside. We don't need to get into that. Right. But, again, proper checks and balances. You need a manager that can manage the clubhouse and that can run the lineup card, and that the GM doesn't need to be getting getting in the way. This isn't Moneyball. Okay, Brad Pitt isn't going to step into your office and go, guess what, you can't play Pena at first today because I traded him. All right, that's not, that's not how this stuff works. Okay, you can't just be going just loan shark all over everything and just think, if you don't play the guys that I got the way that I want them to be played, then this team ain't going to win. Well, guess what? This ain't 100% analytical. The managers, the managers do have a tendency to know some things. There's some damn good managers out there. You know, need I say more to that fact? But the reality is, and, I, and I'm just going to call it, this is my, my opinion, Schultz got to go. And not only does Schilt got to go, I'm thinking that this is John Mosellock's last year as president of baseball operations for the St. Louis Cardinals. If he does not right the ship this next this next season, he's done. There's no question in my mind. At this point, you're going to replace two managers potentially. You've already fired batting coaches, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, uh, bench coaches. 
You've fired staff in your minor league affiliates. You've done everything that you could do except for fire the one guy that's in control of it all. He's next. I agree with you. I think he's got one more year. I think he's got this offseason to turn things around. And if if we if we're at the same point next year, I think he's gone. Agreed. Uh, right there with you guys. All right, one more thing before we head out of here. Uh, I know you had a chance to get together with a, a local group, the the Big Red group, on Sunday celebrating the St. Louis Cardinals football team. It's something that's still very, very passionate here in the city of St. Louis. People love their St. Louis Cardinals uh, football team. Tell us a little bit about that event and, and what other things they may have coming up in the near future for, for people that are fans of the St. Louis Cardinals football team or, or can become fans of them. Well, the first thing that you absolutely have to do is if, if you just love memories, if you're nostalgic like I am, I'm a sucker for nostalgia. I love old things. I mean, I'm getting close to being old. So, you know, I mean, my, I tell my wife all the time, I said, you're kind of nostalgic too because you love old things like me. Um, but uh, if you love nostalgia and you love remembering that, like, hey, that was where I went with my granddad or that's where I went with my dad uh, or my family. We had, you know, season tickets. We'd freeze our butts off in old Bush, too. Uh, but go add them on Facebook. They have two pages. They have a fan page and they have a main page. Make sure you add both because the fan page is where all the cool stuff happens, the fun <laughs> stuff happens. But the main page is for all the good announcements and things like that that uh, that is done. There is a gentleman by the name of Bob Underwood who runs all of these things, and he is a. And I'm gonna. And I, I feel kind of icky saying this because Jerry Jones had said it about Stan Kroenke, but he's a godsend, and he really is. He truly is for for these former players, for these fans that want to catch up, that want to remember, that want to have that nostalgia. Uh, it is such a special thing to, to just sit there with Jackie Smith, Mel Gray, um, you know, Yankowski and Rowe and, and just, you know, just, uh, just a, the list goes on and on. Johnny Rowland, you know, it, Johnny, you, you want to talk about some stories now, Johnny Rowland, uh, you know, he could tell you some fun stories and some funny things, you know, cause he was a coach for a lot of years. You know, he coached Walter Payton. Right. So, you know, in, in Chicago during 85. Right. And he's got a he's got a Super Bowl ring. And so it's it's one of those things where just having those conversations with those guys and being able to pick their brains because, you know, they are getting older. And it's that that part of history is slowly and surely starting to fade away from us. And it's getting to a point to where it's almost at arm's length. And if people don't have that opportunity to be able to catch up and learn about this history and learn about these stories and what the Cardinals meant to St. Louis during that time they were here in St. Louis from 1960 to 1988 or 1987, the end of 87, uh, albeit how they left and everything else. Um, but how important that still is to a lot of fans and, and a lot of, uh, you know, people who want to remember those things and still want to meet up with these players and have conversations with them. It's always a great time to be able to go be with those those people, whether it be the former Big Red players or maybe even former uh, individuals from the Big Red line, the cheerleading group. They do also show up as well from a time to time. And so those are always great events. They typically have those at Circa Pub and Grill in De Pere. It's right there off of 270, easy to get to. And 
that's Jamie Martin, the former Rams quarterback. That is his restaurant. Uh, so it, you know, it the first time you see Jamie, he is a big man. <laughs> he, he's he's you know I'm six four and he's ever been a six six. You know he's he's a big guy. Jackie Smith, same deal. You know he's a big man. Jackie still to this day he's still a big man. And so just to be able to sit down with all of those guys, have conversation, share a beer, uh, talk with them about what it was like to play in the NFL during that time period. Well, you know, what was it like with Bill Bidwell? Did you ever correspond with them? You know, and, and some of these guys, they get, you know, they, they love talking about some of this stuff and you can see that it's, it feels good because they were almost ostracized there for mm -hmm. a while, for a lot of years. And they were almost vilified to a certain extent because of what the team did. And I almost feel bad for certain Rams players to a certain extent. You know, Andy McCollum, I believe he still lives in Eureka. He's he coaching does. out there, yep. if I remember correctly. Yep, he does. Um, Will Witherspoon has a farm out in, I believe it's Owensville, Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you just, Isaac's still around. Marcus Allen lives in the area, former Raiders, former Chiefs, great, you know, Hall of Famer. Um Gosh, I mean, just the litany of, of NFL players that are still around. Jackie Smith and, you know, like I said, Bob Rowe, and Ron Yankowski, uh, Bell Gray. You know, Jim Hart's not around anymore. He lives in Florida, uh, but he still comes up for the Jim, Jim Hart Invitational. It's a golf uh, tourney that they, tournament that they have, uh, usually typically every year. Uh, but now, obviously, being of the fact of COVID and what it's had the effect on everything that has been going on in the world and that has – slowed things down to a certain extent. Um, but definitely the very first thing you do is the, is the Facebook page. Then you can go over. If you're a big Twitter person, you could add them over there on Twitter. Cause there's a lot of cool stuff that always goes on over there too, as well. Um, but it's just, I implore everybody, if you ever get an opportunity to go out to one of these events, just like I said, you've got to go to the Facebook page and add them because if you don't, you're not going to know. You know, I mean, yeah, if you follow me, great. You know, if you follow, you know, Wags, great. You know, he might share it out. Scott, same too as well. You know, anybody else, you know, that there might be that. But it's the, the your, your very own, your very own Tom Franklin is now a, how should I put this? Delicately. A new, newly christened? I don't really want to say newly because he's <laughs> from the area. He knows yeah. the history and the lineage. Yeah. Um, he is born again. There you go. Born again, yep. a Cardinals fan, a big red fan. Uh, and, and the organization has welcomed him. Come to me, my child. Has welcomed them with open arms to come back aboard and, and be a part of the fandom. And that's great. That's fantastic because the things that, uh, and we won't get too deep into it, but the things that Michael Bedwell has done for St. Louis, uh, the community, uh, charitable organizations, things like that, that Stan Kroenke never did, that the Rams never did. Uh, and he's basically writing checks left and right, and he's doing things, and he never asks for an ounce uh, from anybody for anybody to ever say anything, do anything. And he just does it. And he, oh, yeah, there's Tom. I see you, Tom. I see you, baby. But yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things to where I say to the fans out there, uh, former big red phantom. And as you can see back behind me, I have my own collection and, and this is just some of the, of the things that I have. And it's funny. There's, one thing in particular 
that not a lot of people see. And, and, and it's, it's the weirdest thing because there's a few people that have these things and I don't see them very often, but seldomly, seldomly I do. For an example, I do have my very own, my very own St. Louis Cardinals right there and yes. in, in, in excellent condition. I do also as well have the companion St. Louis coffee mug, but wait, there's more. So entertain me for just one moment. <laughs> Woo! As you see my shirt, I apologize. But this at least is you're wearing a shirt. One of my favorites is right oh, here. That's cool. Oh wow! An old St. Louis Football Cardinals ashtray. You just don't see these anymore um, because they were actually used. Right. <laughs> like people actually, <laughs> could you believe that people actually use these things? Um, but rude uh, and great art. But yeah, just this this beautiful beautiful painting, and it actually has. Right down here at the bottom, you can see the actual location for the team offices. Wow. Right there. 200 Stadium Plaza at Old Bush 2. Or actually, that was, this was 19, I think, no, this was probably Sportsman's Park at that time. I don't. I don't recall if they carried that logo. I would have to talk with Bob on that for, to be sure, because he's a historian uh, more than anybody that I know of when when they produced these and how long that logo ran. Because this is what's called the grid bird, mm -hmm. and they eventually just went to obviously just the the bird, like the bird on the sleeve back here on the Lomax jersey or the bird on the helmet. Uh, those are the things that they kind of did. But this is all just kind of stuff. I bring this to these events. Uh, I've got a belt buckle, St. Louis Cardinal belt buckle. I actually wore it last time. That was quite entertaining and fun, quite the conversation piece. But it's always fun to watch other people. I, I'm, I'm a bigger – I'm a watcher, right? So I love watching other people come in, uh, you know, people that are even younger, and they come in and they're like, oh, wow, you know, we really want to be a part of this. And, and, and the players get a kick out of it with the young kids and the young kids come in and they're asking questions. Did you really play? Did the Cardinals really play here in St. Louis? That's always a kick. So it's always a great time. And I implore anybody and everybody to go when they get the opportunity. Most definitely. And, and not just for the, for the, the St. Louis Cardinal football team, any chance you get to go to, to talk to former players or to be a part of organizations, definitely take advantage when you can do that. And we're actually lucky enough that we're going to be able to do that this weekend up in Kansas city. We're traveling up there tomorrow for the Kansas city weekend trip. We're going to be spending time at the Negro league hall of fame and museum, which you need, need, need to go see whether we're there or not. It's an amazing place, but we're going to be up there on Saturday broadcasting live there. Mike Claiborne will be joining us as well as Dr. Doswell from the, the hall of fame and museum. Still got a couple other irons in the fire. Hopefully we'll be able to confirm those tomorrow. We'll see, but uh, pay attention to our Facebook page, Twitter page, Instagram page for all of that information. Uh, Derek, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us again uh, tonight. Uh, lots of great information. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep loading the praise on you. But uh, right. tell us about uh, your show, where we can find you, and uh, where else? Uh, what else you got coming up? Well, I mean, you could always find me. The number one place I'm typically usually always at is Twitter. So at Derek King Sports over there on Twitter. Make sure you add Gateway City Sports too as well. 
Facebook, we got two pages, fan page, main page, and we got the Twitter account too as well. That's where you're going to see all the great stuff. But most importantly, make sure that you're sharing this video out. Make sure that you're telling your friends about Toast in St. Louis. Make sure that you're telling about all this fun stuff that you just watched and make sure that your friends are sharing it too. Because if it's not you guys doing this for all of us that are out here doing this, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. We're, we, as much as we brag and, and we're, you know, we are caricature and we put stuff on. If it's not for the fans, we wouldn't be where we're at. So if you guys would please take the opportunity to share it out on every single platform that you can do it because we appreciate it again, guys, thanks for having me on anytime. I'll come back. I don't want to pat myself too hard on the back. You know, I don't want to slip a disc or nothing. I'm, you know, like I said, getting older. You know, things are getting a little bit harder to get around. But, you know, I appreciate it, guys. You guys are fantastic. I love the show every single week. And uh, and any other time you guys come on. Sometimes you guys have special editions that come yeah. on, and I catch those two as well. So it's always a great time, and I appreciate it. Oh, we, we appreciate you as well. We got a lot of great stuff coming up, not just this weekend, but in the future. We got a couple of big announcements coming up as well. So make sure you join us this weekend in Kansas City. Come out to Kansas City if you can. If you're coming out for the Royals and the Cardinals, see us on Saturday at the Negro League Hall of Fame and Museum. Otherwise, just watch us here on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you can find us. It's, it's going to be a blast. So for Derek, for Scott, I am Wags. We will see you guys tomorrow night. See ya. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.